This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast revisiting television sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Bionic Woman, episodes five and six. Professor Howard Samuels. He runs the country's most cutting-edge lab developing these things at Stanwick University. How about we start by arresting Samuels? We're not cops. Antonio's gonna go after the buyer, and you're going after the implant. So what, I break into the lab? It's not that simple. What's this? Student ID. You're going to college. You're transferring in from England. How's your British accent? Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast that's going undercover as college students. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? I just like secret food, okay? What's the big deal? I'm not. I probably am going to bring that up in the show notes. But the the idea that roommate at college hides food in the bathroom and that's perfectly fine is the weirdest. Well, I just thought, what development of a character? Uh, it really colored an interesting person for us to follow. <laughs> Classic bionic woman. Yeah, yeah. All right, Jordan. Well, before we get into it, what do you want to do this week? Well, I got a little segment. We've tried it one other time. I think it was. Uh, a huge success. <laughs> I don't know if it was or not. Uh, we did it uh, one other time with Nightmare Cafe, and it's called Create an Episode. And what this is, is it really works with really random shows. I think Bionic Woman falls under that, which is you can pretty much just throw together a bunch of random things and make an episode that seems about seems like it could be a real episode. Yeah, just like just like that episode of South Park. Sure. I don't know what that is, but sure. <laughs> you haven't seen that episode? No. Where they uh, discover how a Family Guy is written? A little confession here. I've literally never seen one episode of Family Guy. Or not Family Guy. What's the other one? South Park. South Park. I've never seen an episode of South Park. <laughs> what about Family Guy then? I've seen an episode of that. You're a big fan. Not really. <laughs> We've made it clear I don't like critters, right? <laughs> you and my mom. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's get on with it. I'll just give you the categories first. And uh, what we'll do is we'll have you roll some digital dice here to pick the numbers so that we can see what the episode's going to be. But I'll let you know what all of the categories are, what the possible storylines we could have. So the place it's going to take place in could be the main airport, a poorly run hotel in California, Chicago in the 1800s, okay, vampire infested London, or a haunted house. One thing. Yeah. It took me a second to realize what you meant by the main airport. I thought you meant like the main airport in town, not the secondary airport. (laughs) No, no. Main M-I-A-N-E. I I got there eventually. There's going to be a guest star in this, and the guest star is either going to be a chimpanzee. Okay. A teenage brother and sister who may be in a relationship. (laughs) Tim Curry. Great. He's going to come by. Uh, A ghost detective or a satanic cult leader. Okay. The scenario is going to be switching bodies, blackmail, battle of the sexes, an underwater search, or find an item before the villain. Those are the plots. And there's going to be a random object that's going to be in the episode. So it's either going to be uh, death penalty decision balls. Do you remember those? Uh, <laughs> no. Remember that show where they uh, they were in space, those like sexy teens were in space, and they decided if they were going to kill that guy or not, and they all had little balls they had to like decide with? <laughs> I yeah uh star command yeah yeah anyways I've called them death penalty decision balls this is just like that episode of Frasier where they try to do that uh, dinner party with those uh, balls they black ball <laughs> you really love referencing these old TV shows sitcoms all right so we got death penalty decision balls sexy time perfume alien bone necklace an exitar glove and the apocryphal book of Tobit <laughs> and uh the fun little last category i like is it's a last minute plot line to resolve so this would take place in the last five minutes oh good and there's a mutiny a random stabbing a love triangle and then i have two little fun ones which you could decide what these really mean but there's just gonna be this line we've got company or <laughs> i've got a bad feeling about this great great so that's basically the options for this. And what now do, you randomize. Yeah. So what I need you to do is just give me a number between uh, one and ten, please. Uh, three. Okay. And do do we use the do we use the continuum drag computer for this to randomize? Sure. Well, I don't know what you did over there. <laughs> let's say we did. Anyways, the answers. Ed. So here's uh, what the episode, the options are, Luke, and you tell me what this episode is. 
It's the newest episode of Bionic Woman. It's episode nine. The show has been uncanceled for one episode. It's going to take place in a haunted house. There will be a satanic cult leader. Great. The scenario is going to be a switching bodies plot. Oh. At some point, the Exeter glove from (laughs) Evasion America is going to make an appearance. And at the very end of the show, someone's going to say, I've got a bad feeling about this. (laughs) What do you think? All right. So there's a cult. It's satanic. I'm going to say that Jamie investigates a cult. I don't remember the name of it, but it's one that happened recently. Exivia or whatever it's called. Oh, Nixivia? Nixivia. She's investigating a Nixivia-like cult. And there's a... there appears to be body swapping happening. They seem to be uh, they they call the evil cult leader as uh, seems to be in this scary haunted house where people's like souls are swapping between each other. But what they find out is it's really a microchip he's implanting in everybody's brain and having mm. their like I don't know personalities swap between microchips. So uh, Jamie has to go undercover there, and they give her a new uh, bionic hand, which mm-hmm. is a glove she slips on that gives her I don't know the power to heal and uh, I don't know sweep. <laughs> um and uh she she obviously defeats said cult by the end of the episode but at the end of it they're like something doesn't feel right here and they realize that uh old sarah corvus snuck in and body swapped with jamie at the last second and so jamie is jamie's in sarah and sarah's in jamie but then uh someone just like flips a switch and they flip back (laughs) right And, and then they say i've got a bad feeling about this well, they say that just before, just uh, before that, and that's when they realize that they swap bodies and then they fix it instantly. I think that's sadly about as good as the two episodes we're going to watch. Yeah, like the first half all feels like it's a scary satanic haunted house cult, but then you realize it's all just computer chips. Right. They just give up on it like every plot in this show. And that's uh, how you write an episode of Bionic Woman. You know what? Good episode. I loved it. Yeah, pretty good. 10 out of 10. <laughs> never. This show would never get a 10 out of 10. All right, well, let's get into some real episodes of Bionic Woman. All right, episode five. Here's the IMDb summary for episode five, The Education of Jamie Summers. Jamie has to go to college to investigate a professor working with terrorist organizations. That was courtesy of Stevie. Stevie? Like Steve Y? Like Steve with a Y or Steve dot E? No, no, Steve with an I-E. Oh, Steve I, uh, Stevie. Oh, Stevie, okay. He's like yeah. Madonna. He just goes by one name. Uh, he does on IMDb, baby. Mm-hmm. We start on a cold open of an injured soldier in a combat hospital tent. Very mash, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, he, at some point, stands up out of his bed with a weird cardboard sign just above his oh, his bunk saying, Welcome back, hero. <laughs> yeah, that's to let you know. You know, they fill in the gaps. Why didn't any of the other soldiers who are also injured there get that sign? They weren't heroes. <laughs> he gets up. He walks over, cuts some dude's throat, grabs his gun, and, and proceeds to execute everyone in the hospital. Yeah, and you're like, I've got a bad feeling about this. I've got a bad feeling about this. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's a very grim opening to this episode. Which, I'm going to argue, barely has anything to do with this, this episode. Oh, uh, man, this kickoff, it's uh, just that th- this was what they, the only way they could come up with, like, leading into this nothing episode was yeah. very disturbing. <laughs> Yeah, actually, this whole episode is fucked up. But we we're gonna we're gonna cut to Jamie hanging with her friends again. I didn't think they'd ever make an appearance again. I realize we've seen one of these friends in a previous episode, and I apologize for stating they would never be back. Apparently, they are major characters on the show. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say they're major characters, but they've at least tried to keep the continuity that she has the same friends. Presumably, they have names. Who knows what they are? <laughs> Doesn't matter. Yes, they're they're having a fun friends night while a news report about these killings plays on the TV in the background. Mm-hmm. Is this when we learn that it's like a neural implant that makes the soldiers go crazy? No, nothing like that, Jordan. All we get to learn from this episode is Jamie needs to find herself a man because it's almost winter. <laughs> is that what they said? It's almost winter? She needs to get warm? Yeah, like they don't even specify, but I guess that's the thing. But they're just like talking about how she needs to go on a date, and they're like, "Go with my, go out with my brother." And they're like, "We all know your brother is gay," and then they all have a good laugh. Yeah, I was like, "What?" <laughs> Did you notice though? And I don't know how I've missed this for all these episodes. Maybe because these friends have such like non characters. But one of Jamie's friends is Canada's own being Erica. I did notice. Yeah. I hadn't noticed till just now. And I'm like, hey, that's a famous Canadian actress, I guess. Yeah, which which says something because the famous Canadian actress is relegated to the nothing part of the friend who sits on a couch drinking a martini. 
Yeah, and for our non-Canadian listeners, Being Erica was a show that this woman starred in for seven seasons. This is a long-running Canadian successful TV show. She gets to play friend in background. (laughs) (laughs) Paycheck's a paycheck. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you got to work, but it is just so funny to be like, I'm the star. Now I sit in the background. Although, timeline-wise, was Being Erica like before or after this, do you think? My guess is it's going to be the exact same time. I think she's double-dipping. Could be, could be. Anyway, oh, that's an aside. She gets a call from Wolf Creek interrupting Girls' Night, heads in to uh, get her mission of the week, which is a where we learn more about these what's going on, these neural implants you mentioned. Apparently, the military has been putting neural implants in soldiers to treat depression. However, the <laughs> Al-Qaeda has also somehow got their hands on these same implants and they've been installing these implant, these neurological implants into American POWs and turning them into remote-controlled killing machines, as they say, like a car bomb. And they have to figure out how Al-Qaeda got these neurological implants that treat depression but also can turn you into a robotic killing machine. So they're going to investigate the university professor who created the implants. And they're sending Jamie undercover to university as a, get ready for it. British exchange student. The most important thing of that is that she gets to use her real voice because the actress playing Jamie is English. And so you knew there was going to be an episode where she had to pretend to be English for no reason. But I just the amount of steps that they have to go through, like you've just mentioned, to get her pretending to be a student is ludicrous. It's like, oh, it's they have this incredibly dark opening and pretty grim plot line of these like Manchurian candidate sort of thoughtless soldiers killing people. But that is relegated to almost nothing in this episode. It's all lovey-dovey eyes as she gets to have the college experience that she never had and kind of falls in love with a guy. That's what this episode is. But the undercurrent of it is this horrible uh, terrorism that's happening. (laughs) Yeah, it is crazy. And like, I didn't know this actress was British. So when they said, you're going to be a British exchange student how's your accent i literally screamed no i did not want this to happen but at least she's british so it's not like we have to listen to her fake a british accent for the entire show it's not like um what was it uh, uh the invisibility guy I mean, he had to pretend to do an english accent once oh that's right that was great uh but it is true it's just like all these steps about terrorism and like implants to help soldiers with like post-traumatic stress and like all this stuff leads up to it's like you're going to college and you're going to fake an accent. I'm like, holy crap, you guys. It's this weird thing the show does where it's like they set up a lot of stuff, but they don't have time to develop any of it. So they just go, eh, just don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Let's get it into what we need to do. It's like, well, you didn't need to set up this whole terrorism plot. I know it's stupid to say, but this could just be a dumb, fun episode, but they don't even want to commit to that. No, I mean, the setup is like you're going back to college. That's a dumb, fun episode. But the lead up to it is just like the most complicated, like disturbing stuff going in. I don't know. Anyway, uh, there's a scene where I can't believe this creepy laugh tech is such a fucking character. But he's teaching Jamie about neurobiology so she can like that's gonna be her cover as a neurobiology student at this school. And this is where we get to learn that like Jamie doesn't want to learn about neurobiology because when she was going to go to Harvard before she dropped out, her plan was to study Irish literature. (laughs) And there's no real reason for this other than you're going to find out later that her roommate is good at science and she's good at literature so they can like swap Swap homework. (laughs) Here's what I don't understand. Luke, you're, you're a clandestine organization with sleeper agents going into places pretending to be other people. You have an agent pretending to be a student. Don't you think you just get their work done for them as opposed to actually making her do her homework on the off time? Nothing lines up. Nothing adds up in world. Like it is just this fun, like we've set up a character who wanted to go to university. Now let's go to university one episode. And then they just, but like, it's also like so complex. Like in world, why would you have this person who's never done an undercover assignment? A, go undercover to do the hardest schoolwork ever. B, in this show, she's American. Be like, I hope you can do an uh, English accent. We have no idea. We're just going to send you in as an English student. And there's no reason why they mention it. It's not like, they're just like, yeah, you have to be someone else. So the person you're going to be is English. It's like, what? why? It doesn't make any sense. It is like we at home in the audience are supposed to be like, oh, this well-known British actress who we're all watching play American. We're going to have a lark together knowing that she's getting to use her real accent. <laughs> I don't know who this person is. Like, this isn't a fun thing for me. I didn't know she was English. Anyways, but there you go. We'll keep going. 
Jamie heads to her first class, is like immediately in trouble. She sits down and didn't put her phone on silent. So her phone is ringing in class. This professor she's supposed to investigate gets mad at her. She points at the sign on the wall, no cell phones. He sort of reams her out, but it's a nice meet cute for her. And uh, who I just wrote, I don't know what his name is, but I just wrote him as Hunko. Hunko, yes. Basically, the teacher punishes her by asking her a hard biology question. And the TA who works in the class takes pity on her and slides her the answer on a piece of paper so that they can have a little meet cute of like, oh, check out this cute TA who's helping me get out of trouble with the professor. And his sideburns are a little bit too long. I'm just going to say that now. You didn't like the sideburns? No, they're a little bit too long. (laughs) All right, I'm going to deviate for a quick second to the subplot of this episode so we can get out of the way. Because, you know, as with all these episodes, there's a subplot intercut that doesn't really tie too closely to the main plot. So I just want to get out of the way now. And uh, the subplot here is madness. Essentially, the rest of Wolf Creek is sent on a different mission, which is to find the person who is going to buy the implants from who was ever selling them at this university to give them to Al-Qaeda. And there is a sequence where Treadwell and Antonio are just looking at any Muslim American with no ties to terrorism to try to figure out which one is the secret terrorist. And literally one of them says isn't this racial profiling? And the other one turns around and says, no, it's brilliant detective work. And they don't mean it as a joke because they racial profile someone and are correct. And the lesson is the ends justify the means. The plot line is, as you mentioned, offensive. It's annoying. (laughs) It's badly written. And the worst sin, I hate to say, is that it doesn't really, in terms of the story, it doesn't make any sense. It's not needed. And it's just a time waster so it's just like we've just thrown in this like annoying time waster that's just there to retroactively look terrible when you watch the show yeah i mean essentially they pinpoint some random muslim guy they're like he might be the case because of websites he went to of course they're correct because they have to be they're the heroes and they like stake him out they eventually catch him he is the right guy and they're like take him away But the crazy part is this happens mid-episode, right? Mm -hmm. Catching this guy gives them no information about who the seller is. It affects the A-plot in zero capacity. Yeah. Like, there's still a sale happens to guys unrelated to this person. Like, I just couldn't understand what was happening. I was like, I thought this was the buyer of the microchips. So haven't you figured out information that helps the A-plot? No. It's what we've said before. Everything on this feels like a first draft. They had two plot lines and they don't come together, even though it's very easy that like all you have to have is this guy uh offensiveness aside all you have to do is have this guy have some sort of information that helps jamie solve the case as it were but they don't so you're just like like i just stopped paying attention to these scenes i'm like who cares none of this matters it's literally just so you can have these poor actors have a couple minutes of screen time yeah it's for the rest of the cast to have screen time because the rest of the time is focused on jamie (laughs) yeah jamie pretending to be in college with uh, uh looking at the guy that's that's all that's all she does and she's just like let let me mention this now we've now been into five episodes i don't know who jamie is at all they try to have her be like tough sometimes but she seems to always just want to fall in love they could have her do anything because her character's so ill-defined yeah it is it is a thing like what we know is she wants to do good she wants to do right by her sister and she wants to go to college but like really they're very broad attributes like she you can really put her anywhere and like She's the good guy, basically. Yeah, she's the good guy. That's it. Anyway, back to college. We get a little, we get a few scenes of like Jamie settling into college life. Like, as you mentioned, she has a quirky roommate she lives with, who's the introduction to this roommate was my favorite part of this episode because I was just like, are we supposed to think this roommate's fun? Because when we meet her, she's like eating all this candy because she loves secret food or whatever. And she's like crinkling a wrapper. And Jamie's like, hey, can you stop with that? It's a little annoying. And the roommate turns to her and says, oh, yeah, my last roommate found me annoying, too. So annoying that she killed herself. But I didn't mind because the school gave me all A's last semester for my trauma. And I was like, is this supposed to be a fun character or a psychopath? I just it's that weird tone that's hard to put your finger on. They think they're being this sort of very dark subversive humor. And it's just not funny at all. It's insane. Like, it's insane. It's like you just introduced a character who said, I made my last roommate kill herself and I got A's and all of it is good. I don't care about her death. And they all go, anyway. What a fun time. 
<laughs> anyway, uh, the college roommate invites her to a college party where we get to see Jamie go hang out and like do all the things she never got to do. Have drinks, go to a college party. Of course, the hunky TA is there. So the two of them are continuing their flirt time. Mm-hmm. Oh, and we should say the whole time, pervert guy, pervert tech guy. I don't know what his name is the horrible incel guy that's always they have to jam in the show the whole time she's trying to do stuff he's in her ear very angry because she's talking to other men yeah oh yeah he's like very possessive he's at she's at this party and he's watching her and this man flirt and the entire like the entire time he's like running commentary telling her this man sucks until finally because she's ignoring him he causes her bionic ear to ache to punish her for talking to him yeah and again (laughs) She's on a mission undercover, and he is ruining the mission because he's horny. Yes, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. But anyway, this, like, gets her out of the party so that she can go on her mission where she has to go break into that professor they suspect's lab to see if he, she can find any evidence. Mm-hmm. So there's, like, a whole bionic sequence where she's jumping between roofs and, like, breaking into this high-security lab or whatever to look for evidence yeah it's one of those scenes where they have to have uh an excuse for her to use her powers but like it's not really needed so much in this episode so they have to have her jump up to the top of a building and then bend a bar to get in to the office stuff which is like there's no real reason for any of this but just so you remember she's a bionic woman yeah i mean and she's pretty much immediately caught by the professor who walks into his lab and she has to improvise an excuse for how she's in his sealed lab like how did she get in there yeah and her excuse is she broke in to clean out the monkey cages to say sorry for using her cell phone in class. She uses a bad excuse. Hunk boy suddenly walks in the, in the building. Now, mind you, he's outside of the building when she's talking to the professor. He comes inside the building, sort of backs up her really crazy story by saying, oh, it was a bit of a hazing ritual, and we told her to do that, and she took it literally. And so it's sort of like, everything's okay. She gets off with it. But my major point is, how did he know that was her excuse? Because she never says it in front of him. He just comes in and goes, did you clean the monkey cages? And I was like, he was literally outside the building. How did he hear? I actually thought it was going to be a thing where that was going to be a point later where it's like, oh, I've been uh, tracking you or I've been like uh, recording your audio or something. But it's like, no, no, it's just this weird plot hole that doesn't make sense. Yeah, I also felt the same way because there is a bit of a twist with him later. We'll save that. But like, it still doesn't add like, why did he leave the party to come here? Like, there's no way he knew she came here. There's no evidence he did. How did he know she was talking about monkey cages? I don't know. Maybe there was a scene somewhere where he bugged her or something. But, like, we don't get to know that. So it just doesn't make any sense. Because it's a ludicrous excuse. that Him backing it up doesn't make it any less ludicrous. And the professor's just like, okay, I guess that checks out why a person would break into a locked lab. No questions about how she got in. You're right, though. It, it's funny. If you make up a ludicrous excuse for something and your friend comes in and backs you up, that doesn't make you look more honest. It just looks like your friend's also lying. But the professor's like, checks out to me. Yeah, he has no questions about how he she got in. Like, that that's the bigger question. Like, how did he break? How did she break into your secured lab? No question. No further questions, though. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, the whole point again is now he's sort of like, she's like oh he likes me he defended me and he backed me up and this no chemistry romance can continue yeah can we go out get some coffee now blah 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 blah. anyway uh we do finally get to see like jamie's class go see what the experiments professor's working on and kind of what his research is is he takes these microchips and he puts them in patients with like say a muscular disorder who uh, you know they can't hold things they shake too much something like that and with this chip in his head with in their head they're able to like gain control of their muscles back i guess is the idea behind his technology and we get to see one of his patients who has these chips in and they like say they're like see how he's shaking now watch this and they make him juggle and then hold a candle under his hand to burn himself and they're like do you know how he's doing that we're forcing to him to via remote control yeah yeah and the whole thing is jamie's just like has to be she's like stop it this is bad and you're like i i guess so yeah i don't even know if she said that because she's just like this is crazy technology and someone says as you can see this could be abused in the wrong hands i was just like you just forced the man to burn himself it's being abused in your hands but that line you mentioned is uh, uh, a perfect example of this show where someone just says something so then they don't have to do the work of showing you a scene they're just like that could be abused move on so now you know it's going to be abused I, it just it was just crazy to like say that after we've like at this point now 
everyone involved in this technology is a bad guy. Like, if the professor did this to this man, he is a criminal. Right. <laughs> Turns out, though, he's not the criminal in this story. No, there's there's that other guy they racially profiled. He's a criminal. Uh, but yeah, it's like crazy. Jamie's been asked out on a date by his PA. So that night when she heads up for her date, she's like stalked by somebody and her, her bionic ears warn her. So she beats the guy up. And it turns out the person who was stalking her is this same patient with the mind control chip. And someone somewhere has been forcing him to like try to kill her, I guess, is the idea. Did they ever explain who sent her and how they knew that Jamie was undercover or why that scene happened? When we find out who the villain is at the end of this episode, I thought back on this and it doesn't make sense. That person who's the villain, as far as I can tell, has no access to this man, has no suspicions that Jamie is an undercover agent, has no connection to Jamie. Like, this scene makes no sense. It's literally just because they had like five minutes have passed. So we have to have another action sequence because she already, you know, she already exercised and trained for it. So we need another fight. And they're like, oh, we have to remind the audience that this microchip allows people to be used like puppets. But did we? (laughs) It's not good. Anyway, she beats this guy up. She continues to go on her date with this TA who at this point, we, the audience and everyone at Wolf Creek suspects is probably the the guy selling the microchips Mm -hmm. because he's the only one who, who would be suspicious of Jamie at this point. Um, but she continues to go on this date with him where they go have sushi and they reveal to each other they both hate sushi. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, oh, isn't that hilarious? We both hate sushi, but we're both putting on airs, I suppose. I guess it's such a weird scene. They're like, well, let's get out of here and go back to your place to have sex. Jamie uses it as a way to get him out of his apartment because they get back. They start making out. And Jamie's like, before we do it, I'd love a bottle of champagne. And he's like, well, I don't have one in my apartment she's like well go out of your apartment and buy me a bottle of champagne if you want to like get it on with me and he's like okay but this coming up luke is my favorite part of the episode so he's out of the apartment now she has time to go snooping there's a couple things one she looks through a photo album and what i loved is his photo album was just photos of himself which made me laugh and laugh. I know, I saw that laugh. too. I was <laughs> like, just put photo- in these photos. It's <laughs> <laughs> just photos himself, which is a funny. But the best part is she's going through his kitchen and she opens a drawer and she sees there's like spices and she pulls one out and she goes, Tarragon, he is the perfect guy. And I laughed and laughed and laughed because I don't know how having the spice of Tarragon makes you the perfect guy. But then to one up it, she starts walking away and we goes, Tarragon? That's too perfect. Then she opens the jar of tarragon and there's a microchip in there. And it was the dumbest thing I think maybe we've ever seen in a TV show. Yeah, I was losing my mind too because I'm just like, A, like I, uh, Melanie was in the room with me wa- when I was watching this. And I was just like, is tarragon good? And she's like, I don't know. It's like a spice. I guess it would be unusual to see it in like someone's house if you didn't think they were much of a chef. But like... I just couldn't, con- like, the, the dots don't connect in any way, shape, or form, and then there's a microchip in it. Full disclosure, I have tarragon in my spice rack. I don't understand. Am I now the perfect guy? I'm too perfect because I have tarragon? You own, you own tarragon, Jordan. You're just perfect. It's just, it's so dumb, and it it's just, the show is so lazy. It's unbelievable. It's like, she needs to find it real quick because we only have 10 seconds, so this is the way she finds it. It's just so dumb. It's so wild. And, like, if this were, like, a dumb, campy show, sure, but it's not. No. No, again, this is about, this episode's about terrorism. It's about the moral efficacy of controlling minds. (laughs) Anyway, Jamie now has to go stop this TA from selling microchips to terrorists, because the microchip in his house is clearly one of the ones that's getting sold to terrorists. And... I, she follows him because the meat is happening at the low she thinks the meat the ta is going to is at the local farmer's market yeah she follows him there where he slides an envelope to a man and then she grabs that guy and opens up the envelope and what's inside why it's just test exams the man he really is a ta and he was just meeting a student i guess to give him his quiz back but then he grabs her and he's like why are you following me and then he's like by the way i work for the cia <laughs> I know. He's like, I work for the CIA. And she's like, well, I work for Wolf Creek. And she's like, they're like, I thought you were selling. She's like, I thought you were selling the chips. So neither of them had any clue who was selling the microchips. They were both just investigating each other. Yeah. And they turn around and look down. And what they see is two guys exchanging bags. And we're expected to note that one of the background characters in class is one of these guys and he was the seller all along. A character who's never 
maybe spoke once to my recollection. I don't even think they ever were featured at all. I think he was sitting next to Jamie one time in one shot, and we're supposed to know that that's the bad guy. Yeah. Anyways, it results in a fight because we need another fight. Well, and the fight doesn't make sense to me either because, like, yeah, they get in a fight to stop the guy from selling the microchips to the bad, to whoever the buyer is, even though didn't Wolf Creek catch the buyer? I don't know. But these two guys are exchanging it. They intervene. And now there are also two or three other gunmen in the crowd who I guess also work for the terrorists who are shooting. Like there's so many people involved in this plan who were never discovered. Yeah. It's that, you know, when you're, you, you're like, uh, you're watching a bad TV show or reading a bad book where it's a mystery. And the answer is, Oh, it's this person that we never bothered introducing to you. That's how you never solved it before. And it's just, that's what this is. It's just that annoying thing of we've just brought you on this roller coaster ride. And by the way, uh, the answer was, this thing you're like what this, this was no point to any of this yeah i mean how'd that student get that guy to attack jamie earlier who knows here's the thing if they hadn't gone to this farmer's market by coincidence they would have never stopped anything well that's the thing it's like why were they even there it just none of it works none of this episode works but it all's leading up to the end of the fight where the bad guy runs away and jamie throws a melon at his head real hard to stop him yep that's it hilarious <laughs> No, I think the more important thing is, so they've caught the, they've caught the guy. She goes back to her um, dorm room. Yeah, to move out. And she finds out she got an A on her paper, which I guess is supposed to let us know that A, she's smart, and B, she should have went to university, or if she did, she would have really excelled. Yeah, okay? she, she's really good at Irish literature. She knows a lot about James Joyce. <laughs> Great. And then she goes back to Hunk, Hunko's apartment, and they sit around a lovey-dovey with candles. That's the episode. Yeah, they go on a little date as he packs up his apartment because he's also leaving his cover. I At this point, I started referring to him as CIATA. <laughs> well, and, and let me make one last point uh, on this episode. If the amount of work that Jamie had to do to pretend to be a student, can you imagine the amount of groundwork this guy had to lay to be a TA? That means he had to get hired. He had to be a student already and then get hired by the professor as the TA. Like, how many weeks did he have to spend to do this? Yeah, he's the CA's had him there for years, just in case anything happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When he started, his sideburns were all short. Yeah, but I mean that—that's basically the wrap of the episode. They stopped the plot that we've mostly forgotten about, but more importantly, maybe Jamie's got a boyfriend now. Yeah, and I don't know. I guess there's still soldiers with chips in their head all over the place because that's really what the plot should have been—is stopping these people. I mean, that's not Wolf Creek's problem. Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, on to episode six: the list. I have one question before we do that. Yeah. And you, there's no answer to it, but I'm just going to ask it anyway. Why was it Wolf Creek's problem to begin with? Well, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, difficult no to answer. E- it's difficult to even know what their jurisdiction is between the FBI, the CIA, uh, the CSA, and all, all these organizations. There's now another organization. I don't know. What are they supposed to handle other than bionic work? Well, they even say that the CIA has a rivalry with the wolf creek company in this episode and i'm just like so and they didn't coordinate on this whole state like i'm like so you had two cross-purpose organizations one governmental intelligence one random private company <laughs> yeah i don't know it's crazy this show all right here's the imdb summary for episode six the list in the nature of the situation cia's gonna insist that we send somebody in there with you so i'm going to paris with a cia agent that's right can i pick who this isn't a kickball game, Jamie. Well, I just thought that, you know, since time is of the essence, it'd be good to skip the getting to know you part and just hit the ground running. Tom Gokers and I seemed to get the job done last week. Okay. You want to call him? No, you go ahead. I don't call guys. Jamie and Tom are partnered for the mission in Paris, where they find themselves struggling to balance their flirting with the task at hand. Finally, Becca tries to impress a boy and gets arrested, prompting <laughs> Jonas to bail her out. <laughs> you know what I love? Uh, that the, episode five, they just knew the fans were so invested in this love story. They thought we have to give them a double header. There's got to be another episode with these two. Yeah, I never expected this guy to come back so quickly. But oh, man, oh, man. He's like, we don't have enough regulars on the show. We needed one more. Yeah. So there we are. Uh, this time we start off with another cold open. 
some Wolf Creek agent is trying to buy a list off of bad guys. I guess they have a list of all the Wolf Creek agents in the field that have been compromised. And this guy's shown up with what? They're so specific in the show. It's like, I've got $250,000 in cash and $5 million in bearer bonds to buy this list. <laughs> I like that. And the guys who are selling him the list somehow know he's, I guess, not real. So they kill him. And this entire exchange is being watched by Wolf Creek. Wolf Creek has set up a sting operation, this whole thing. They've got agents everywhere. They can't stop the sellers from getting away. Like, I just, like, it didn't make any sense to me. Like, you have set up this fake buy to get this list and catch the bad guys. And you have officers everywhere, but they're still able to get away. And I don't know. The problem was they couldn't rent. The only space they could rent for the armed team that they have to, to break in when the guy, then they start shooting. It was, like, several blocks away. So it took them a long time to get it there. It took them a long time. It yep. was, like, such a weird setup where I'm just like, all right, so you guys are incompetent, I guess. Great. Let's keep going. Through another random contact who were never told, like, they're just like, oh, so we heard that those guys who we tried to buy the list from, through another guy we know, they told us they're going to sell it again tomorrow at an embassy party in Paris this time. I just like so much hand waving as to how mm-hmm. they know any information at all. But it's like, so we've got to go to Paris and stop the bad guy whose name is Victor Booth from selling this list. The only problem is Victor Booth has cosmetic surgery like every six months to change his appearance. So no one knows what he looks like. (laughs) Yeah, of course he does. Jordan, I got to say, like, this isn't it just if someone has that much cosmetic surgery, you 100 percent know who they are in the room. Yeah, (laughs) I know. There's such an easier way of doing this instead of having the guy constantly have plastic surgery. And I assume now look like Michael Jackson. Which would you just be as a spy? Be like, I guess I'll just look for Michael Jackson in the room. Um, is just have maybe different people. Just have different people handle it instead of the same guy. Like, it's like, what is he doing that's so specialized that only he can handle it? Just have more than one person instead of giving the guy, like, 85 rhinoplasties. But it's only set up as everything this show. The reason the line of dialogue is in so that you can have a scene later where she uses her power. And so the whole thing is the only way she can find out who this guy is is by looking at people's eyeballs because you can't surgically adjust your eyeball so she gets to use her superpower that's the only reason to have this because there's no other reason why this guy has plastic surgery yeah that i mean that's exactly it and as it turns out the list he's trying to sell of compromised wolf creek agents also has a list of compromised cia agents on it so they're gonna have to team up with the cia and jamie's so excited so she's like hey can we team up with my friend the cia ta named tom yeah, his name is Tom. But th- there's something interesting here. Th- and you-, you get what they're setting up now. It's supposed to be this, like, um, fun, slightly, like, old-school Hollywood combative relationship of this man and woman who like each other, but they also can't stand each other. And it's this fun sort of relationship as they go on an adventure. That's what this episode they're trying to do. But this is not fun. It's not fun at all. No, I mean, it's it's such a mess. Like, they set up Jamie as... This episode, Jamie's new thing is she has a lot of rules about dating men, which is probably why she can't date them. But, like, she had one nice date at the college with this guy, but she refuses to be the first one to call. So she's waiting for him to call, but he hasn't. So she's mad at him. So when they have the chance to do this exercise together, he she wants him on the team but, like, he shows up and he's like, hey, I heard you invited me to be on this team. And she's like, I didn't do anything. Jonas did. Like, is this all this weird thing about how, like, the woman doesn't, according to Jamie, the woman doesn't ask for a date. She has to wait for a man to do it. And that's, like, this weird running thing through this of just, like, it's up to him to be the man so they can go on another date. Yeah. But then the side of that, the other side of that is, like, they're, I would even say there's not even a will they, won't they. They clearly want to kiss each other in every single scene and the writers struggle to find reasons for them not to and like the first time they don't it's because they're like literally jamie's just like they get to their hotel in paris and jamie's like oh we're pretending to be a married woman married man and woman let's have sex and they go to start having sex and he's like oh wait never mind i don't want to we're on a mission yeah i was just like what and then like eventually it's just like he doesn't want to bring her to this, the tasks they're doing because he doesn't want her to get hurt because now that he's in love with her, he can't risk her life even though she's also a CIA agent who's clearly like more skilled than him. This show has a funny thing I've noticed uh, in the last six episodes, which is almost every episode someone says, 
it's too dangerous and thus you know blah 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 and it rotates between it's too dangerous so jamie should go by herself or it's too dangerous she shouldn't go by herself but the scenarios never dictate if they're dangerous or not it's just if the plot does if we need her by herself but they're always saying like it's too dangerous jamie you can't go in alone jamie is too dangerous you should go in alone and they just anyways that's just a thing they always do but yeah i mean this episode really articulates that mess pretty well because it's just like you're just watching them swing back and forth between like reasons that barely make sense and there's a, one other thing i like to point out is that uh, as you mentioned they are pretending to be a married couple but when they first arrive in the hotel to you know start pretending they're a married couple jamie doesn't seem to know that was the plan as if she wasn't briefed and again i think she might be a terrible terrible agent i just think the organization's bad like i don't think they ever brief her on any information at all <laughs> She is blown away, though, when he puts an engagement ring on her finger, which is clearly part of the ruse the the characters are playing, and she could not be more excited. I mean, it's just the fantasy of it. Maybe this guy (laughs) is proposing to me. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. It's this whole... Yeah, because this whole... Yeah, you're right. The whole episode is a will-they-won't-they that is struggling to find a reason to exist. Like, the answer is, they both want to, we're just vaguely coming with reasons they can't and also like they have to get to this like james bond-esque party but like why are they there why are they invited who are they supposed to be like none of this is important they don't lay any groundwork it's just like they need to go and they're there done yeah i mean that's it they go to this party i mean we're not even gonna talk about it but that creepy text in her ear again the whole time complaining that she's on a date with this guy yeah but he's there because he's running new technology that like when Jamie looks at a person's eye, the surveillance equipment back at headquarters or like the, the headquarters they've set up in Paris can like scan the eyeball and determine if it's Victor Booth or not. Mm-hmm. And she can just glance. So for the entire time at the party, they're walking around. They're just talking to anybody, just glancing at people's eyes. It works instantaneously. They finally pinpoint a guy on the other side of the room, played, of course, by Canadian character actor Colin Keith Rennie. Which guarantees that this was shot in Canada. If he oh, shows I, up, well, you know it was shot in Canada. Previously seen in The Omen pilot. Right. For us. Um, but, like, they go over to talk to him, and they're making a big deal. It's like, oh, he won't look you in the eye. And I'm just like... The technology worked with glances. Like, it, there's this whole setup like, oh, we can't get a read of his eye. You got to keep talking to him. But, like, up till now, the technology has worked instantaneous with even the slightest glance. And it doesn't really feel like this guy isn't looking at Jamie. Well, it also doesn't make sense why why you have to have eye contact. Why can't she scan the eyeball from the side? It, does, it, just, yeah. it, it just doesn't make any sense. It's only to extend things so that they can have a conversation with him. They can talk start, start talking about art with him so that he can take them down to a room to look at art this is another thing where like they apparently have covers we haven't been told about and like she is a professor and he's an art critic or something but they announce that to this man apropos of nothing and then the man's like what's your favorite painting and he doesn't have an answer <laughs> yeah because he doesn't know but is there anything lamer than of course like if you're gonna guess what painter could he possibly say i guarantee anyone listening of the top three answers you'd say picasso which is of course what he says like picasso i like his blue period it's like the writers did zero research i mean i I don't know if it's supposed to be like these people are incompetent or if it's just the writers are but either way (laughs) either way it makes a conversation so they go down to look at some other art that's all the point of the scene is yeah it's just like they end up spending so much time together that it's absurd she didn't get an eye scan but like he takes them down to like why don't you come look at this art i found in the embassy which you can just wander around freely apparently during a party Mm -hmm. and it is all just so they can he can shut the door and trap them in a i wrote down wine vault yeah, but there's a there's a, a great thing I love here. So they get locked in the wine vault, which is, again, a reason for them to bicker a little bit. And Jamie says, getting locked in a wine vault, what a cliche. And I thought, that's not a cliche at all. I've never seen locked in a wine vault as a cliche. But what's funny about that is the scene after this, they break out of the wine vault in like two seconds. Then they go and to hide from someone looking for them, they pretend to kiss. And I thought, no, that's a cliche. You guys just <laughs> called something that's not, and then you literally do one. Yeah, I mean, it's all so silly. Like, even, like, when they're in the wine vault, both the agencies who are surveilling them are calling them. It's like, how did you get trapped in a wine vault? And I'm like, yeah, it's a good question. And they have to, yeah, you're right. They break out almost instantly. But there's this weird thing that I didn't realize was happening until now. He doesn't know she's bionic. And apparently she can't reveal that for some reason. Okay, I'm glad you mentioned this because I only realized at the end of the episode because they keep making these little comments, but I, I guess I just didn't catch them because I, I thought 
it's clearly obvious she has bionic powers. She's done all these things. And, and then later on, it's like, oh, she's hiding that from him? One, I didn't think that was clear. And two, why? There's no reason. It's just another game they're playing in the show. Like the game of like, how long can we keep Becca from figuring out something's different about Jamie? Right. But why would you send a specific... The only reason you'd send Jamie out is because of her bionic powers. So you're doing a team up with the CIA. They must be aware of that. It is crazy. It's like, we can't tell the CIA of bionic powers. So when you need to break down a steel door to get out of the wine vault, she what she does is she tells old Tom, she's like, let's both hit the door with our shoulders at the same time. And maybe that, like, you know, impossible. It's never going to break down. Tom's been hitting it with his shoulder for like 10 minutes already. But she just like kicks the door when he touches the door and the door just flies off its hinges. And it's all just so he can make the joke. I loosened it for you. Because he's a man. Anyway, like there's this is a subplot where I'm just like, why do we have to also have this like game where like she's a superhero who can't reveal her powers also? It's just like so complicated and unnecessarily. Anyway, they get out. They immediately track down booth who is still doing the sale at the embassy like he knows he's compromised now but he still goes up to the room to i guess do whatever the sale was we get another fight where they're just like fighting random people in suits but also the team the the team i'm assuming from wolf creek jumps in at this point and nabs him and grabs him and i was like but what was the point of all the espionage if you just have a team there that can just grab him at any point like i don't understand how this works well it doesn't make any sense either because the team at Wolf Creek, I guess, jumps in a van to drive out to the embassy because I don't know if the plan was ever to grab him. It doesn't make sense because all that's happening is there's a fight on the second floor of the embassy. Some random guy pulls a gun and is going to shoot Tom. So Jamie jumps at him. They both fall out a second story window to the pavement below where the Wolf Creek van is waiting and grabs them both, pulls them into the van and drives away. And they're like, we got him. And I'm like, no, that's not the right guy. And they immediately look at the guy they've captured like, oh, this is the wrong guy. Well, who cares? We give up on this mission. Like they give up. Like they're just like, we didn't catch him, I guess. Let's go home. And this is to set up a thing that Jamie has a stronger emotional pull towards this guy or a greater moral compass than the rest of them because she wants to go back in, but the rest don't. And I was like, what is that? And it's just such an odd thing to add at the last third of the episode. It didn't make any sense because, yes, Jamie found a second story window, knocked this guy out. Why Wolf Creek's out there and why they care about, like, why they think the guy she kicked out a window is the guy they're trying to get, I have no idea. But they're just like, this is the wrong guy. I'm like, yeah, no shit. Jamie should just use her bionic legs to jump back through the window she broke and finish the mission. But instead, they drive away and they're like, well, too bad about that CIA agent. I guess... I guess we'll leave him behind and give up on this mission. They go back to the headquarters and the CIA team's just like, Jamie's just like, I, we lost your operative. You have to go save him. And the CIA team's like, I don't know if we will. Yeah. I mean, I think we're just going to give up too. Then there's like a whole scene where she's like, well, how much money would it take? And the woman's like, I can't get money like that. So she calls Miguel because he hasn't had a scene. Well, Jamie calls the terrorist now. She picks up the phone. And she calls Tom's phone. The terrorist picks up. Victor That's right. And, and, and she's just like, give me Tom back. And he's like, I'll tell you what, I'll give you the list and Tom for $8 million, which seems like a low price for that list. I agree. And yeah, she goes and asks the CIA lady, she's like, can you get $8 million so we can get Tom? And the lady's just like, that's a lot of money. I don't think so. Yeah. And so then she calls her boss, who I call Miguel because the actor, but what's the, his character? Jonas. Name? Jonas. Calls Jonas and Jonas is like, yeah, I can get you money. Or like, yeah, I'll okay. wire to you right now. And I guess the point of this is like, aren't corporations better than the government they're so ineffective government yeah that was the seed is like they don't have the same red tape and you're like okay sure yeah i mean crazy crazy whatever but so jay so they all agree now it's like okay i guess we'll go get the list and rescue the agent now that you got us eight million dollars jamie and the plan is they meet at a restaurant to do the exchange tom is sitting at a table in the restaurant he's got a bomb strapped to them Jamie sits down at the same table with the money. Victor Booth, the bad guy, walks out dressed as a waiter, shows them a wine list, but the wine list is a list of all the agents? Yeah, it's just like, why did they have to do it? So he had to take, he had to dress up for some reason as a waiter for no reason. And print off the, like, yeah. Like if, if all you were getting was a printed off version of this list, he still has a digital copy of this list to resell you guys. This is not, uh, this is not going well. Also, he just shows it to her and Jamie, I guess, like scans it and copies it. I was like, oh, okay. But for what Doesn't purpose? Solve, 
It doesn't solve anything. You know what's on the list. The point is that he has it. Yeah, I don't know. And then she, like, hits him with the bag of money, so the money flies in the air, and everyone in the restaurant's like, $8 million! And yeah. there's, like, chaos everywhere. She jumps on top of Tom, who's got that bomb strapped to him. Uh, the tech in her ear is just like, pull the black wire, and she saves him by doing that, and he's just like, how did you know? And she's like, I'll never tell my bionic <laughs> secrets. <laughs> Yeah. There's a big chase where they try to chase Victor Booth down. Tom is running slightly faster than her, I guess. And Victor turns a corner and her bionic ears hear him pull out a gun. And she's like, oh, no, he's Tom will surely get shot when he turns that corner. So my only option is to bionic jump over a roof so I can get there first. But again, they didn't lay the groundwork for the whole point that she has to have her use her powers in secret. They only just had a throwaway line at some point. So this whole like last scene with the point is she uses her superpowers to run off the top of the buildings, gets to the bad guy, knocks him out before uh, Tom Tom gets there. And and he's like, how'd you do that? And she's like, I'll never tell. Yeah, exactly. She's like, you were behind me and now you're in front of me. That's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, that's it. They, They stopped the bad guy. And there's a weird scene where they're like, and we only lost four million of the eight million dollars I threw in the air. Yeah, and she's like, "But that's four million more than before, so that's pretty good." I was like, "What? That doesn't make any sense." You know, no, you've lost four million dollars. I think her point was we were going to pay eight million for the list, but it only cost us four million. It's like I got it on sale. Yeah, sure. <laughs> anyway, and like the episode sort of like this plot is sort of wrapping up with Tom is now like, "Hey." You don't have to tell me your crazy bionic secrets, even though I have many questions. But how would you like to go on a date with me now that we're in Paris anyway? And she's like, I could spend another hour in Paris and go on a date with this guy. Like, but no, I have to get on a 16 hour flight back to my sister first. There's no time. I was just like, yeah, there's time. Which brings us to do you want to really quickly talk about the B plot of this show? Yeah, I mean, this is it. We'll talk about Becca's sister C plot, which is insane as well. She's having a Quentin Tarantino movie <laughs> night, you know, like teens do. Yeah, but what I like, <laughs> what I like is, okay, that's that's silly enough as it is. And they just keep mentioning Tarantino movies because you know that's that's what kids do. But at no point during this party are they ever just watching a movie. <laughs> well, that's it. It when you go back to this party, it is just a normal party full of kids just drinking out of cups, chatting, and the point of the party is. A boy she likes is going to come to the party, and she's very excited. But when the boy arrives, he brought a date, so now she is sad. And the party is in her own apartment, but she's so sad, and I maybe drunk, I don't know, that she leaves her own apartment, gets into the family car, which I guess she can't drive, proceeds to back into a pole in front of a police cruiser, and is immediately arrested. Well, what it is is, I think... We're supposed to know that she's drunk, but because it's sort of network TV, they don't want to show it. So it, there you have just this vague thing of, because she's not really acting drunk, nor is there any reason for her to be. So it's just like, yeah, so she needs to get in trouble, but it's minor trouble. And again, the whole point is that so she gets arrested. And then some scene we apparently off screen, Jamie told Becca, Becca, that if she's ever in trouble to call Jonas and Jonas yeah. will, will help. And I was like, but haven't we established episode after episode after episode that she doesn't want Becca to know anything about her job and it's a big secret, but she's now going to give her his number? Jonas is fun. I like also, she didn't tell Jonas she gave him the phone number because later in the episode, she's That's like, right. hey, did uh, my sister call you? I I gave her your number. I forgot to tell you. And he's like, nope. <laughs> yeah, which also makes no sense. I don't know why he doesn't say anything. But anyway. Why he's covering for this or whatever. Anyway, he comes, bails her out. They have a a heart-to-heart about how hard her sister's working so she can, like, go to school. And the cover she gives for Jamie is, like, Jamie is a timeshare salesperson. (laughs) Who apparently needs to fly over the world, which makes no sense. But the weird thing about this is they have the same conversation again. She's like, I can't trust my sister, and it's always lies. And all this is like, we've heard this a million times. And the argument he makes wouldn't convince anyone. He's just like, she works real hard, and she's like, you're right. I now love my sister again. Yeah. And also, I mean, there's no point in harping on this, but I'm going to. In the pilot, she is on probation for computer crimes. She just got in a drunk, caught drunk driving. She's going to prison. She's not getting bailed out. Well, she she is, Luke. You're wrong. <laughs> because she's no longer, I guess, a computer hacker. <laughs> no, she's no longer. And it culminates in that 
when Jamie comes home, she thinks Becca's gone into trouble and because Becca's acting weird. But what she was actually doing was making a sexy bath for her sister. Yeah, I guess because of the conversation with Jonah about how hard she's working to sell timeshares so Becca can go to high school. Becca felt so bad she made a beautiful candlelit bath for her sister when she got home. And she's like, I love you, sister. And, and then Jamie's like, I will take a bath. And then we get to see her uh, very chastely disrobing. And then there's like a real close up of her taking off the engagement ring and like wistfully looking at it. She's in love, baby. Yeah. And that's how the episode ends with her taking a bath. Oh, man. What a, what an episode, Jordan. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you have any final notes before we get to ratings, but let me know now. Well, a, a few things. Um, there's this weird sort of reluctance of the writers to sort of engage with anything more complicated than these are the good guys, these are the bad guys. Yeah. It's just this sort of like frustratingly lazy lack of trust in the audience. It's like, we're just going to go to these conclusions all the time without really bothering to explore problems that led to them. So you get this sort of like weightless, pointless and meaningless plots every episode. Just this paint by the numbers, nothing. That's what the show is. Well, I mean, part of the problem is too is they're... The color they're trying to bring is a moral gray areas color. They're always trying to like feed through these episodes. Maybe not so much the list, but certainly in the uh, in the college one, like terrorism and moral gray areas and like operatives undercover. But like you're right, every episode boils down to like there's a good guy, there's a bad guy, the good guys win. So there's no there's no gray in the plots. So when they try it, it feels weird, and then the plots don't make sense. I don't know. I will say one thing though, Jordan. Of all the episodes we've watched so far. These ones were at least like the plot of an episode. Like they they had the, a regular plot line. They weren't as choppy or like randomly right. put together. Well, they didn't feel as uh, as if they were a few episodes to jam together. Yeah, they weren't as haphazard. I mean, they're just boring and lazy. But they're not. They didn't feel like as haphazardly like right. slammed together. Right. Well, on that note, what would you give episode five, the education of Jamie Summers? I don't know. I'm going to I'm going to give it a 3 just because I guess it's slightly more competent than previous but uh as pointless and empty as ever. I'm uh giving it the exact same uh 3 out of 10 and it's for one thing, the tarragon line that gets a little one point, the fact that the roommate apparently kills her roommates and has an eating disorder, that gets one point and something we never mentioned which is because Sarah is not in this episode, and I can't stand having to see that character, she's not in, and I just hate that whole plot line, so it gets a point for that, so 3 to 10. You know what? I think you've hit all the highlights of that episode 100%. Thank you. <laughs> all right, what about The List? Weirdly, I think I like this episode less, and I, on paper, I should like it more because it's less dumb than going back to school, but I just I just didn't like anything in it, and I just thought it nothing made sense. I didn't care about the stakes. I didn't even understand the stakes. And everything was just stupid. So I'm giving this a 2 out of 10. I'm I'm in 100% agreement. I'm giving it a 2 out of 10 as well because, listen, they're both equally bad. But there at least was just, I think you named them. There's a few fun moments in the education of Jamie Summers. And there is literally no fun moments in the other one. And they're doing this meet cute thing that is not working at all. No, no. It's like, is it, I, I'm trying to think of a show we've watched where the leads have less chemistry, and I can't think of it. And you know what? No, I, and here's what I would say. It's like, I actually think these leads could have, like, I don't even think the chemistry is that bad between them. They just have no, no idea how to utilize it. Oh, I I, th- I think they just, they, they both are like two mannequins walking around with robotically programmed dialogue. Like, I believe these two could have a love affair, but like... There's no, they're not, it just doesn't make any sense why they aren't. Like, from square one, there's no reason, there's nothing standing between them. So why isn't it happening? Like, they're just making up reasons it's not happening. Well, it is funny because you're right. There could have been some sort of, as clumsy and dumb as it is, there could have been a, a reason that the whole Jamie can't reveal her powers. And that's the reason she can't be in a relationship with him because that would be dishonest. But they don't do that at all. And I'm not saying that would be a great one, but at least it would make some sort of sense. Absolutely. And the person stopping the relationship isn't Jamie in the episode. It's him because they're both highly trained, specialized agents, but he doesn't want to risk her life. I don't know. Whatever. I'm not going to talk about this anymore. It's too dumb. (laughs) Yeah. Agreed. (laughs) All right. That about wraps it up for this episode. Um, This is the last week 
for us doing this promo swap with uh, the Short and Spooky podcast. So if you haven't listened yet, there'll be a promo after the credits telling you by the host telling you all about their podcast, which is an anthology podcast where they watch old horror anthologies from like the 80s and 90s and such, mm-hmm. um, which I think very much falls in line with what we do here. So maybe you want to listen if you haven't had a chance to already to the promo after this episode. And of course, on Instagram and Twitter, you will find clips from uh, Bionic Woman's episodes this week. Uh, the handle there is at Continuum Drag. And I don't know, if you want to email us, the email is ContinuumDrag at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. So that wraps it up. Thank you for joining us, listener. And Jordan, I'll see you next week. I'll see you then. Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rex Seedler, produced by Jordan Dulloch and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Hughes. Hey, Tommy. Hey, John. Uh, do you like listening to podcasts? I love it. Uh, do you like watching spooky stuff? Oh, great. Yeah, I love it. Uh, are you still obsessed with the 80s and 90s? I Yeah, to this day. Cool. So am I. Uh, if you are, then you'll probably like our podcast called Short and Spooky. What's it about? It's all about anthology shows like Are You Afraid of the Dark, Tales from the Crypt, uh, Freddy's Nightmares. What's an anthology show mean? Uh, it's like a standalone, so you don't have to keep up with any plots or characters or anything. So you can just tune in. Say you're a new listener, you can just tune into an episode and not have to worry about missing out on something you didn't hear before. Exactly. Awesome. Yeah, it is awesome. Check it out.